Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Wealth and Wellness Podcast. Um, I'm very excited for today's episode. It's been a while since I've had a guest on the podcast. So everyone's been hearing lots of me talking on different money topics. Um, So it's nice, a nice break from that. And I'm really excited for today's guest. Um, So a little background before we get started. Our guest today is Adele Anderson. Um, At 27 years old, Adele survived a plane crash. And that near-death and life experience changed Adele's path and led her on a deeper journey of discovery so that she could help others. Little did she expect she would experience a significant loss later on in life, but that loss challenged every aspect of her life. And she did find relief through community, neuroscience, nutrition, and by embodying a rich spiritual practice. Adele is an NLP trainer, a homeopath and soul coach, and has the privilege of helping those seeking happiness since since 2002. Um, So that's a little bit of background, but I mean, that's a lot. And, and so Adele, do you want to share just with listeners a little bit more about you, about your story, what brought you to do this work that you do today? Right. And thank you for having me, Kaylee. I really appreciate being here and sharing. Um, Yeah, so you said at 27, I did survive a plane crash. So it was just a two seater. Um, There was a bit of a pilot error, we'd been, you know, popping in and out of the sky all day. And we were just heading back to the airport. And I heard his voice erupt over the, the uh, earphones and watched his arm go out and he was pointing to this river below us and he wanted to skip the plane like he would a flat stone across the water, and then back up into the sky before we headed back for sundown. But he had forgotten that he had left the landing gear down. We'd just taken off from a field. And so when the plane hit the water, it flipped. And it drove the nose of the plane deep into the water. The windows had been open. It flooded the cabin immediately. I saw him go under and I went to take a breath of air and my mouth filled with water. So there I was upside down in this cabin that was... um, you know, flooded with water, we were being dragged and spinning down the, the river in a current. We were, um, well, I was getting bumped by objects in the water, whether it was in the cabin or something that was in the water. You know, I had a mouthful of water, <laughs> with water everywhere. It was confusing gravity, buoyancy. And lastly, I knew I was trapped. I could feel that my life jacket had tangled around the three-point harness and it was very confusing in this ter- situation and I couldn't seem to find that three-point harness disconnect and it wasn't very long before I got that sensation that arises if you've ever been that kid that wanted to swim across the water swim under the water as far as you could go you know when you have to come up because you're 
you start to get that tingling sensation. And that had started in my fingers and toes and was now moving into my extremities. And so um, with my background of being a lifeguard, I knew exactly what was happening. That I was running out of air and I needed to come up like fast. But what happened instead was that kind of triggered this, this sort of wondering in my mind, you think I'm going to drown? Like, you know, I know I got to get out of here. And, um, and that was like, you know, lighting a match on this movie. So my life began to flash in front of my eyes, right from the moment of my birth, all the way through that day. And then when it came to the close of where I was, it was like, okay, all of a sudden my perspective changed. It was like, my life was over. And I, in my perception, it was like, I, I separated from my body because now I was sort of flooded in this bright light. And I had this overall feeling of intense calm that everything was quite okay where I was. I actually had this permeating feeling, I always say of unconditional love. Like I just had this deep sense of just utter calm. And I was looking down upon my other self and I could see her upside down really clearly in that plane and I had long blonde hair at the time. It was wild in the wind, but I wasn't really attached to her drama. It was like I was just watching a movie unfold. And then um, my brain gave me a preview of what it would look like if I was to die. And so then that movie showed local police officers walking through my parents' front door or front yard, knocking on their door. And I watched that conversation unfold by watching their facial expressions change. And it ended with my mom collapsing to the floor and screaming. And she screamed so loud inside my head that it kind of snapped me back into my, I'm not going to die today. I won't do that to them. And so then I was back in my body you know, collapsing lungs, pain, but I made a choice. I'm getting out of the plane now. And this is brain science that we can talk about because our subconscious brain's only purpose is to keep us alive physiologically and to do exactly what we ask. So by me giving a very concise ask, my brain started to source the information I needed to escape a plane that had crashed and overturned in water, which came in the form of a movie that I'd watched, just a single scene that gave me all the information I needed to escape a plane that had crashed and overturned in water. And I followed that commander training, that script, and I escaped the plane and saved my own life. So there's many things that I learned that day, like even in life's most dire circumstances, out of breath, out of time, we still have the ability to make choices that can change the trajectory of our life. And also, I had this knowingness, I was no longer afraid to die. But then that came to the death of my husband, you know, these unexpected moments in life. He was, I always say he was the least likely person to die. He was strong, fit, looked 20 years younger than his, than his years. Um, he was in the process of building our dream home. Uh, he was just, it was just so unlikely, but he had been having some problems with his tummy. And so the test came in and it said that he had pancreatic cancer. So it didn't take very long for his body to sort of shrink into itself, eventually becoming so weak, he couldn't carry his own weight without support. And then he died. And that was really, um, you know, it's not only shocking when something like that happens, but it's like, okay, what is the carnage <laughs> where you're left with just this devastation of losing your soulmate? And, um, and so you can ask me, 
questions about that, Kaylee, if you if you want me to get into the the you know how I coped and but um, I'll I'll just leave it there and then we can have a conversation about how that sort of unfolded for me. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's you know a very that's a lot and you, you, a lot to cover in a quick amount of time. And, um, it's amazing to hear. Cause I think as listeners, it's that's that near death experience and, and how you described it. It's just a lot of us have never gone through anything like that and, and likely will not maybe throughout our lives, but, um, to hear that and to hear the different stages and steps, like it's how it all unfolded is just amazing. Um, and that where you describe that feeling of like unconditional love, is just such a good reminder of kind of who we are at our core. And that's, that's such a special piece of hearing that. So I love that. Um, and, and kind of just seeing that, what, what is that like and, and what you went through and, um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, I'd love to go into some of the, cause you do a lot of work with the brain science behind things. And so it's kind of going from your own experience of what you went through. And then obviously the loss of your soulmate and what you've gone through with that and, and how you've navigated um, that. And I think a lot of the the tools you've developed and, and worked with to that have helped you, I think are so valuable for others. And I, I'm sure there's others on this call that have gone through some sort of loss or grief and, um, you know, grief comes in in many forms and, and different, yeah, different sort of capacities, but um, maybe let's start by talking about that, that grief and, and what it might look like for people and, and navigating that and, and maybe share a little bit about what you went through. So this is a quote from David R. Hawkins, who um, was a physician and then a psychiatrist and one of the leaders of consciousness studies um, for, the, for 50 years. He's now passed on, but he, he said, losing a parent, you know, depending on the age of your, of your child, a child or a spouse is called a catastrophic loss. And why that is, is it because it contains many of life's top stressing emotions. So it has grief, anger, guilt, sadness, hurt, pain, uncertainty, fear. You could you can just keep piling them into the bucket. And so this is the struggle is you're not you're not dealing with one little aspect of yourself. It's body, mind and soul. And that's something that I really, um, you know, I'm in the age where we have friends that have died early Um you know, in the last couple of weeks, one of my, my best friend's um, son took his own life. Um, but I'd had, you know, good female friends who had lost their husbands. And I thought, like, through the work I do, and just the type of person that I am, that I had an understanding of what they were going through. And I didn't have a clue. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, I was so not tuned in and it's one of those experiences that friends and family might not understand until they've had the experience themselves it's so all encompassing you know I remember the early days probably for about six weeks every time I made lunch every time I made breakfast and dinner I'd pull two plates out and then I'd turn around and it was like well he's not here But you just, you know, you're constantly thinking that you've missed something that you're, that you're, you've lost something. Someone asked me out for tea the other day. I just ran across the, to the neighbors to give them eggs because I have chickens. And um, she said, can you stay for tea? 
And it was just such a shock to me. It was like that you, you wouldn't really consider that unless you're a widow. It's like, no, I got to get home. Like I met, I might be missing something. Like, it's like, I've left him there <laughs> and it sounds strange, but it's, it's permeating. It took me probably three months to go out for my first dinner. Like your whole life becomes um, quite insular. And really when you need to reach out, which is the really, you need to reach out, <laughs> your desire is to huddle because you feel so out of control and your life is like every aspect of your life has changed when it's um, you know, a grown child that's lost a parent, maybe they have their own life. Maybe they have their own spouse, they have their own children. So they have that, you know, built in things that haven't changed, but if you're um, an empty nester, then every aspect of home and life has changed. And that is, I think, a big part of becoming okay again is learning to, again, be on your own. Um, but I, you know, I was using my NLP, which was super helpful. Um, you know, there was days when I needed to crawl out of bed um, just, to, just to find the energy to do that. And I hear that people really struggle with that and, and really having a focus, an external focus helped me as far as, you know, doing some work in the yard, making sure the pets were, pet, were fed. You know, if you have built-in tasks that are, that are a must-do, then these things help because they take you outside of yourself. Um, the mind science, you can rework those painful programs and, and meditation, as we know, has, is now science. This is no longer fluff and buff. This is lower your stress level, you know, increase your creative thinking, um, have better concentration, be able to make a decision which totally goes down the toilet <laughs> when you first become a widow. It's like you question everything. Um, you know, it's just those built-in safety nets that you really need to have. But truthfully, until I plugged in spiritually in a very intentional way, I didn't find that lasting peace. So I really believe it's a body, mind, and soul solution that's required in order to balance. Yeah. I love that. And again, like I'm, it's, I'm so sorry for your loss and to hear that and how you describe it. You're right. It's just, it's your routines. It's everything that all encompassing, um, where you say body, mind, soul, and yeah, just the day-to-day, -day. um, and you're right. It's hard for anyone that hasn't gone through it to truly get it. And I think that's why, others, you know, really struggle with, you know, how do I support someone going through that when you've never been through it yourself? Like you said, like that, um, that catastrophic loss level, maybe you've experienced some form of loss, but it's not to that level or that degree, or it, it you know, didn't impact your life to that degree as a result. So, um, like you said, reaching out, I think that's such a good idea for people. What would you suggest if it's, you do feel like, you know, the, the idea is to just kind of stay, go within and, and, you know, you're kind of hesitant on reaching out basically like just based on maybe people not thinking people understand or whatnot. Like, what do you suggest to people in those situations? Yeah, I found it more helpful to have um, like, like a few friends are probably going to gather around. A few family members are going to gather around and give you that support. And it's wonderful. They don't always have the right 
questions, great intentions. Um, asking a, a person who's just lost someone, how are you doing? Doesn't really help. <laughs> you can say, how are you managing right now? Are you okay this morning? Did you have an okay sleep? Have you eaten today? You know, it's really specific things that are more helpful in the communication because they're going to get a thousand. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and truthfully, I'm fine. I'm not fine. And I'll tell a little story. I was, and this, I'm now eight months in. A month ago, I went to get my hair cut and um, I'm just finishing. Everything had been fine. We've had a conversation about my you know, my current life situation. And then I said, okay, let's book ahead about four weeks. And, and I said, and a Monday works for me. So she worked, looked ahead four weeks on a Monday and it landed on Willis's birthday. Well, I didn't just have a teary eye. I sobbed. Yeah. <laughs> Still. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know, right? Yeah. Sorry. No, but no. It's, it's these triggers. And it's called all the first. So that first year, you have to protect yourself in a way because they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to haunt you yeah. as they get closer. And then the day comes and maybe you're actually a little bit more prepared. But that first year um, is filled with casseroles. <laughs> yeah. And filled with these firsts, which are that, that are triggers. So to set yourself up for, for success, to make sure that you're rested, to make sure that you have vitamins that are topping you up if you're not eating well. Like I went to even a high quality nutritional shake, something that I could do in three minutes or less because you might not feel like cooking. Yeah. So you can put these, these extra little building safety blocks in there to make sure that you're getting some basics that are going to keep you level. Um, you know, there's some supplements like um, GABA, the big, very long derivative for a brain chemical. That's the shut off valve. So when people are hyper stressed for a long time and getting adrenal fatigue, you know, that supplement will help get them under control. It's like rescue remedy. Oh, okay. You know, you can, yeah, you can buy little tablets or a spray that you can have with you for, you know, situations where you're going to go to the bank and you don't want to run into somebody and someone's going to ask you a question. And if you're feeling strong that day, it might be okay. But if you're not, it could be a trigger. And it's okay because this is life. And if you break down in the bank line, it's okay because it's probably going to happen. So don't be alarmed when it does. Um, but we can build in safety nets. And then the important thing is that grief and this catastrophic loss is a very unhealthy place to live for long. It's not meant for us to um, make this a lifestyle. <laughs> and we have to understand that, um, you know, if we look at the energy of grief, if you're looking at it, energetic chart of different emotions and we talk about gratitude and why is gratitude important because it creates a, a mindset and a physiology that's life preserving inside our body but an energy of grief is I think it sits at about 75 out of a thousand and these are exponential numbers 
these are not um, like one, two, three. It's like one to the to the tenth degree. So these are um, numbers that are exponential. So when you have a um, you know an energy of grief inside your body, um, this is what we work on. We work on the energy because grief is just the label that we've given it, and we can transmute energy. We can create it into something else. And when we are able to do that, we find emotional fluency and emotional freedom. And this is the work that I found to be just, I, I call it rocket fuel. When you relieve this energy that's blocked in your body, it just opens you up for healing. And it changes not only your mindset and your focus, but how healthy your body is. Because we know now, like if you even have um, sort of a, an angry moment or an irritable moment, that interrupts your immune system for six to eight hours every time it's triggered. So every time we hold 17 seconds of resentment in our mind, 17 seconds of grief in our mind, we actually turn off our immune systems. And this is physiology. So we want to understand how can we recover and be healthy and find joy in life. And it does take us doing something. We have people that sit in grief for a very long time. And an emotion that stays in your system for, I think it's two months, becomes um, a mindset. If it stays in your body for four months, it becomes chronic and it's considered a personality trait. Wow. It doesn't sound very good, does it? No. <laughs> No. So it just like reminds us that we have to work through it, like do those steps. Like you said, when you talk about transmuting the energy, like what does that mean for anyone who hasn't really isn't familiar with that? Yeah. So the, the um, psychology behind it is our body is actually insentient, which means it has no ability to experience itself. We experience our body through sensations but the sensations do not have an ability on their own to understand their own feelingness. That takes the mind and the mind labels it and that's how it understands it. But it has no idea of what that label is that is considered consciousness and consciousness has no ability to experience itself without awareness. So we see this higher learning coming in and how we understand this in another in the physical sciences is through anesthetic. So when we are unconscious, we might think that we're physically unconscious, but at what it actually literally means is we are cut off from consciousness, which resides outside of ourselves. So when we're anesthetized, we are unconscious because our brain cannot connect to our consciousness or our awareness. So then our body is completely insentient. And I just um, had a girlfriend who just had... Um, cancer removed from her tongue, extremely painful. And they'd given her oxycodone. And I said, Oh, that's really addictive drug. I really don't like it, even though I know it's super effective. But she's like, she's at a 10 out of 10 on her pain. Oh, no. And so her husband was texting me. And I said, Well, actually, he's not going to want to hear this. But the pain um, begins in the mind. If you want to remove the pain, then cut off the pain between the mind and consciousness. And here's what you're going to do. And by um, that afternoon, she had reduced herself down to five. And, um, wow. and so, you know, when you understand how the mind functions, 
and how we can interrupt these processes, then we can move a lot of energy. Um, part of the issue that keeps an energy in the body is that we label it. So I'm angry, right? I'm sad. The I am's mean that we are. We've just set ourselves up to embody that feeling inside our body. But that's not how our brain actually stores the information. It, short, it stores it through the experience of how it understands it visually, um, olfactory, gustatory, through auditory and kinesthetic emotion and feeling. So we take the label and we, we just go into a visualization and ask the brain, what does that look like? What shape is it? What size is it? What color is it? What movement is it doing? Does it have a beat, a buzz, a tone, a scream? How loud is it? Does sun go through it? Is it three-dimensional? Is it flat? So we run through the neuroscience understanding of how the brain stores that information, and then we change it. Okay. So the brain, I'll, I'll show you what I'm going to show up for people on the podcast. It's just a, a pen that has a cap on one end. And so the, the part that doesn't have the cap, I say, okay, this is the emotion that you're feeling. And if you look at the center, that's the neural pathway. And then the cap itself is the accompanying physiology. So every emotion comes with its own heart rate, respiration, body temperature. We could go through all the physiological aspects. We know if we have anybody that has depression, for example, they take shorter footsteps, they lean forward, their head is hung, they have less energy, they talk in shorter sent sentences, they don't make eye contact. We could go through the whole list of physiology that's connected to a label of depression, right? So we used to have to understand that emotion, but now all we have to do is really change the physiology. And that neural pathway cannot exist if we change it. So how we change it, we can change the heart rate, the respiration and the body temperature, which allows that neural pathway to collapse. Um, and we can do it in a few ways. We can um, give ourselves a, a more challenging mind task. So for example, doing the alphabet backwards, it takes effort while you're out for a walk and maybe you're pumping it out. So you're walking or you're doing a line dance because line dance requ requires coordination with something. So if you were in my office, I would show you charts that would show you, okay, when it's an A, you have to, the color is black and you have to put your right hand up. When the color is green, you have to clap. And when it's blue, you have to put your left hand up. And then you have to add the opposite limb and jump. So you can do these complex little line dances, which really just dominate the mind and change your heart rate, your physio, like your heart rate, your respiration and your body temperature because we're moving. Okay. So it's quite simple in nature. The structure is, is to get that right left brain domination while you're moving. And it, it, you continually just break these neural pathways so that they, you know, they don't spark as often and they don't spark for as long because you're, you're training your brain that whenever I feel this way, this is what I do. And then pretty soon a new neural pathway lights up that says, when I feel that I go out for a walk and I say the alphabet backwards and it's just what you do. And it doesn't have to be a walk for an hour. <laughs> like um, literally these little exercises take less than five minutes, but there are 
many, many ways to do that. And um, you can change also in the visualization. So if, you, if you're not adding in the physical activity to change the physiology, then you can change how the brain understands it. So change the color, change the shape, change the movement, the direction of movement. And you can do that through a physiology or through a visualization. So I quite often, um, you know, if I go in and say it's a black box in my chest, well, then I imagine that I'm in an artist studio and I start painting it my favorite color. And I might make it into an abstract. So I really change um, the shape of it. And then with that, if it has a movement to it, I make sure that my when I'm doing the brush stroke, I'm doing it in the opposite direction of which it's naturally moving. So it might sound complex when you first see it, but you do it a few times and you understand how the brain stores and how you change what the brain stores. And when we change it, it cannot be created or it cannot maintain itself in something different than how it was created. Okay. So all little- yeah. Those are neat. Those very interesting tools. I've never heard those. Like I have never come across those. So it's, it's when we're in the middle of it, like we're in the midst of it, maybe we're struggling with like something like a feeling depressed or anxious or angry. And these strategies, essentially, if we try these out that that should sort of trigger, like get us out of that, you're saying? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody is a, like a long distance swimmer, but when people are in deep water doing these long distance swimming, you hear them say, I was counting. Well, what does that mean? It means that they are, they are feeling stressed while they're swimming and being challenged somehow and how they're taking control of their emotions is they are concentrating on counting. So they're counting their strokes, they're counting their kick. And this means that they're moving from the middle brain, which is where the emotions are stored to the neocortex, which is your cognitive functioning brain. So when you do that, you're taking the attention away from the feelingness and moving into identification or a cognitive function. So that in itself is um, dropping a veil between how intensely you're feeling and and coming back into control. So I always say, um, you know, treat your brain like it's a standard car when you're, or even an automatic car. If you're in reverse, you're not in first or you're not in drive. So you wanna learn how to move from this feely brain into this cognitive brain. And you do that through cognitive functioning. So identifying things, just like when you're a little kid, what, what are these things? Right. And so when we, you know, touch our ear, we are identifying an ear. Well, that comes from this brain. This is where we identify things. So that, again, puts us back into control. Um, Random numbers are another one. Your brain is designed for patterns and sequences. It knows one, two, three, four. It knows that B comes after A. So when we do it backwards, it's hard. That means you control your brain and you're in cognitive functioning. If you do random numbers, one to 10 or one to a hundred, try not to repeat it, flip it around. It sounds simplistic, but by doing probably 20 random numbers, you're back in control because you're in this cognitive brain. That is the power behind journaling. We learn how to write. So when we journal our thoughts, we're not feeling our thoughts as intensely 
as what if we're actually concentrating on what we're writing. So this is the mind science behind helping ourselves. I love it. Yeah, because it's I mean, yeah, when you're going through something so intense, and it's so like all encompassing, just to try doing these and, and like you said, they're short, short, like practices and, and things like that. But if it offers even a little bit of relief, um, then that that's absolutely worth it. I love it. Um, I, I think this was from your website, I got it, but you wrote, um, and I think it kind of goes back to, to the start of what you talked about when you were in the plane crash, but you said life always offers us more than what we see or believe is possible. Um, and, and in that moment when you were in the plane crash and, and you said you made a choice and we still have the ability to make a choice, even in the most dire circumstances. And, and I think that can be true too, in those like extremes, like, like grief, like you're talking about, it's, we still have a, a option to make a choice of, you know, how can I make this a bit different for myself? And can you just, yeah, like a, elaborate on that, that idea of, you know, there are choices still available to us. It's a choice every day just to get up, right? To make a choice to try to figure it out. And try is actually a stop word. So I try, try, not to use try. <laughs> All these funny little things. Your brain doesn't understand, can't, don't. Um, try. There's a bunch of them. Okay. So um, there, it's good to know when to have awareness when you use them, but you, you're tripping yourself up. The idea with choices, we have lots of choices. It's easier for our brain to do choices in the morning because by noon, we probably had a hundred choices. We chose what color socks we were going to put on this morning. We chose, you know, if we were going to have a shower or a bath, what earrings to wear. So all of these things were actually choice and we're, and we're training our brain. But any mother that walks down a cereal aisle understands choice. Right? Yeah. So do it in the morning or don't take your kids, right? So, so there's definitely tools that empower your ability to make choice unfortunately stress is not an option if you're under stress it really inhibits your ability to make good choice so the idea is to um you know is it the chicken or the egg let's get ourselves under stress under control with our stress because stress is a fear-based emotion which means we have fear-based emotions in our physiology and when we have that mindset, we are making the choices through the lens of fear, not through empowerment, not through the right choice, not through excitement, not looking forward to the future, but through the lens of fear. So we want to be aware of, you know, what are we setting ourselves up for success? And you will find if you are a wid widow, those first few months of decision making, oh my gosh, <laughs> you question everything. What would have he done? What would I like things that you would have just snapped off before seem to be insurmountable. It does get better, but it also means that we're back. We're feeling more of ourself again. So there's many, there's many tools that I can give you to do with choice. But what we understand is if I have my hands sort of laid out like a funnel. So we all have lots of choices in life. And every time we make a choice, it changes the trajectory of where we're going. And pretty soon, those choices funnel down to us making that final choice, which chooses our trajectory. 
So if I was to use the plane crash as a, as a, um, a thing, I would say, okay, the first good choice that I made was not to panic. The second choice was to swallow the water rather than to exhale. The third choice would have been to, um, let's see, well, I'm, I was hunting for the, for the, um, the buckle. So making that my primary, knowing, knowing that that was the one thing that was inhibiting me. And the fourth thing would be to, you know, push myself further down into the water in order to get out. And yeah, I mean, there was choices that were being made in those moments that changed the outcome in a positive way. So we're doing that every single day to change the trajectory of our future. And so we want to be able to know, first of all, what our future looks like. It's hard, you know, think of going on a vacation. And if you haven't chosen the destination and know what it looks like when you get there, then it's, you don't know what plane to get on. <laughs> yeah. Right. So choices are like that to, um, you know, to reverse engineer some of your choices makes a really good, a really good landing. And then another um, mentor of mine, she gave me this great little triangle and heart, mind, and will. So you can just do a little visualization with this little triangle that I'm making with my thumb and forefingers. And each one is given. So say my, my right bottom corner is my heart. Um, the left bottom corner is my mind and the top is my will. And when you go in and you make a choice and you say, how much of my, of my heart is in this? And then you visualize it and it'll tip in your mind. Your subconscious mind is so incredibly powerful. It's only got your best interests at heart. So it will always tell you the truth. It's like your gut instinct. We often discount it. So play these little games when you're feeling uncertain about a choice. You've got all these great little mind tools um, that you can use and you'll see this triangle shift. And then when it's really sitting firmly on the, on the ground, then you know that you're making a really balanced decision. So this is a great little tool that I use for myself. Of course, there's kinesiology. Um, if you, you know, some people use pendulums, some people use the, you know, the two fingers or the leaning forward or the leaning back and just see what your body does with those truths. There's so many more tools out there that are becoming, um, you know, more accepted in science and, and they're available to us. So we can have all kinds of conversations about making great choices. Yeah. I love that. And those are, those are very neat little tools. And yeah, just cause it's that tapping into the power of the subconscious, which is going to yes. assist us in those um, choices. And you're right that if it's coming from a place of fear, uh, it's, it's probably not necessarily, you know, the we're we're not in the best place to make the choice. And it comes out in the language. So we have, we each have a signature language. So there's 20 words that we use all the time. And that describes our mindset. And you, you say, I love that a lot. So you're probably a very positive person. (laughs) Yeah. Say your signature, um, your signature language has a lot of battle words in it. Like, you know, you beat the eggs, you do whatever you fight cancer, you all these battle words. Well, battle words are, are um, 
negatively and, and don't take it literally as far as negatively charged but when we talk about um, a negative emotion they they typically are not on a power or our life supporting range and so if we can adopt change within our signature language, we can really shift our mindset. And we notice through things like the meta model, which is the decision-making processes that are happening in the middle brain at 140,000 miles per second, super, super fast, that when people are making a fearful decision or a decision based in fear, they talk about moving away from something. So for example, if we were talking about losing weight, um, someone would say, I'm looking forward to my high school reunion and looking great in that little black dress. So they're moving towards something and it's, it's anticipating something rewarding. Someone else would say, well, I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about diabetes or I'm worried about being overweight and heart disease. So those people are moving away from an illness, for example. So that um, decision is actually based in fear where the first example is based in, um, in excitement and if you want to lean on the side of love. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. These are very good tools. Like you've given such a wealth of little strategies and tools that, again, I've never really came across. And so I think for listeners, there's lots of, um, lots of gems that they they can take away from this episode that they can start using right away. Um, so for sake of time, um, to wrap up, um, can, where can people, I'm going to include some links to your, um, social media and whatnot in the show notes, but where it's the best way for people to reach out to you. So my email is yes, yes at lifecoachadel.com. Okay. And you are welcome to connect to my Facebook page if you just search for Adele Anderson. Okay. I've got a Facebook page. I do a lot of blogging. I blogged my experience. Um, hundreds and hundreds of people have um, connected on that that are feeling the loss. And it's, it's good for someone maybe to put that into words where people have a harder time if you're not a writer per se, putting your feelings into words and so um there's been a lot of healing that have that has happened for people um that i'm very grateful that i was able to share my experience through um blogging and so that's all on my facebook page as well okay and and my website is should be updated and and up um pretty soon like i've, I've got someone working on it actually right now um, the other thing that i just quickly wanted to share is that my business has organically moved towards helping people that are grieving. So grieving families are my focus and it's, it's a passion project for sure, because I, after my experience, I was, I was really worried about anybody who didn't have the amount of tools that I had. And truthfully, it still wasn't enough. I ended up taking um, a Akashic record reading this like I kept coming back to this soul connection so we had lots of tools already on the body side on the mind side but we are you know we've heard this for millenniums body mind and soul and what does that actually mean and for me the truth came in the connection with um, what my higher self if you want to call source or God whatever you want to call it the soul part 
was a needed part for me to find peace and balance in my life. And that's, if you haven't found it yet, then possibly open yourself up to that. Yes, absolutely. So I'll include that all in the show notes. And and that's fabulous because for people going through this, we talked about that reaching out is such an important piece of that. And, and this sounds like a community and a group and a safe place for people um, because it's, it's people that have, you know, you've gone through this. And and like you said, it's just, sometimes you don't really know the extent of it until it's something that you've personally firsthand experienced, like experienced yourself. So this is such an, like a wonderful opportunity and safe space for people. Um, Cause I think, yeah, the idea of reaching out and you do have so many different tools and ideas for people to try. So that's, that's awesome. So I'll make sure we include that all. Thank you so much, Adele. I love this conversation. I've found so many new little tips and tricks and things like that. So I will be sure to start using those myself. Um, And thank you. Thank you so much for being on this episode. I'm so grateful. It's just um, a pleasure to be able to share and hopefully, you know, someone has just that little insight and feels some relief from that. And that's my biggest goal. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in and I will catch you on the next episode, everyone. All right. Bye for now. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much, and I will catch you next time.